Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. We're going to be taking a trip around the world today as we talk to our senior international correspondents about what is happening in the various countries. But before we get to that, Lou, what's happening in the news and last week and the weather in New Jersey? (laughs) We had 71 degrees on Sunday here uh, in February. This is outrageous. So I didn't look so weird wearing my Hawaiian shirts. So that being said, uh, Postscript, last week's show, we had Joel Neidig, Development and Technology Manager for Intemco, uh, who is a a company in uh, Indiana who uh, has done all the right things in recreating their company that was started in 1955. They've gone through the changes from a basically a 1955 old company after the Second World War to a modern-day 21st century company. Uh, They're using uh, uh, everything from uh, computers and software and uh, robotics and really has changed their company. Uh, The driving force has been the family, three generations. And the interesting thing is that the grandfather was one of the primary prime movers to make the company go modern. So if you want to learn how to do it, if your company is still uh, in the uh, sort of dark ages of the 1950s, 60s, 70s, you ought to listen to these folks. They really know what they're talking about, to the point that they were even invited to the White House, uh, I think it was the day before Christmas, to tell their story to a Commerce Council that was meeting at the White House, and they were honored to speak about what they've done, how they've done it, and how successful they've been at it. So I strongly recommend you go to mfgtalkradio.com and listen to Intemco telling their story. Uh, Next, news. Um, it's been a, it's actually been a bit of a dry week this week uh, in terms of news uh, in manufacturing. We've had uh, uh, political news, but we're not going to go that direction today. We're going to give everybody a break. Um, last, uh, the numbers came out uh, from the Association of Manufacturing Technology, AMT, that the cutting tool consumption last year, 2016, fell. Now, let me tell you about what that number means. That means the tooling that is made for manufacturers to produce parts and products is a very definite leading indicator for what's to come in three to six months. Very important number. Maybe even more important than uh, uh, the PMI numbers because PMI said what they did do and the – the AMT number for cutting tool is going to tell you what is coming. So that's a real important number, and I've been following that number for 40 years that I've been in business. The good news, AMT is forecasting in 2017 plus 4%. That is a huge jump. 
that takes it uh, it eats up the loss of this past year plus an advancement in view of the fact that everybody's talking about how good things are going to be and we're actually going to talk about some of those things in our commentary uh, at the end of the show so stick around for some really important information about employment capital outlays uh, increase in inventories and so on and so forth um, so that takes care of uh, the tool uh, industry uh, John Deere company raises profit forecasts and sees the recovery coming they've had a rough couple of years but it looks as though that they are, have turned a corner and uh, the, even the stock prices went up almost 3% uh, as of uh, recent. So good luck, John. Uh, we hope to see you progressing and uh, uh, keeping your employment up and so on. Um, as far as uh, the Mexicans and job loss and robotics and so on, uh, it seems as though that they're still talking to talk out of uh, D.C. about how uh, we have lost jobs to uh, foreign countries, Mexico being one, China, of course, uh, is another one, and now they're beginning to blame robotics. Meanwhile, all they're not counting the fact that people have to make robots, and technology uh, in itself is a growing, growing, huge uh, uh, segment of our economy. So we can't just look at one side of the coin. You have to look at both sides of the coin to see which is the right side and the wrong side. So um, let's uh, we, we do talk about robotics uh, quite a bit, and they're really making some fantastic um, uh, progress in uh, development of robotics. Um, I think that's uh, pretty much uh, it that I got for uh, today. Uh, I guess the important one was the AMT number, a 4.3% drop and a 4% projected forecast for 2017. So start buying your machine tools. Well, yeah, those are great numbers. And let's begin our trip around the world. We have uh, three senior national correspondents reporting in with Roy Slow coming in from the UK and Europe. He actually covers those two areas from France. Then we have Song Wang who covers Asia and followed up by Norbert Orr who talks about 18 different PMIs around the world that he follows along with some regional ones here in the US. So let's get to our senior international correspondent. With us now is Roy Slow who is our senior international correspondent who covers the UK and the EU. Uh, Royce, we're always thrilled to have you on the show. You always have great insights. Uh, thank you for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Lovely to be here, Tim. Thank you. So what's the European manufacturing looking like in January? Well, in January, it's looking, uh, to put it mildly, very, very good. Uh, the, uh, the PMI was up over 55 to 55.2, which is uh, a 69-month high. Um, with uh, production and uh, new orders, uh, both domestic and uh, export, at uh, three-year highs, uh, three-and-a-half-year highs. Uh, <clears throat> Austria, for example, was at a 70-month high. Uh, good old France is coming back with a 68-month high. So it looks very good, and the new car registrations were up quite significantly in uh, in January. 
And uh, of course, it's uh, it's projected that they will continue like this, but uh, one never knows. But one can uh, one can hope, and uh, that's the way it's looking. Uh, it, it is uh, it is at this moment uh, optimistic, to put it mildly. Uh, you know? What's with the uh, the countries that were suffering all kinds of financial issues back a year or less ago? Namely, uh, Greece and Greece? Uh, Italy. Well, uh, particularly Greece. Uh, Greece is, um, I think, something's supposed to happen this week with Greece. I, I saw something uh, in, in, in the press recently about the Prime Minister of Greece. There's a photograph of him getting into a not very luxurious car. And uh, I think that uh, this week sometime uh, they're going to get news. I, 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 I'm assuming, like everybody is, that uh, they will be bailed out again um, the, the, way they, the way they always have been. I, you know, I, I think the last thing anybody wants, particularly uh, Angela Merkel, who is the, the, the person who really, really wants to keep Europe together, I don't think she'd let uh, she'd let Greece go. But there again, they have to be responsible. I don't really know how responsible they are. Uh, they were the one um, they were the one country in January who didn't uh, who didn't show at all. They were they're still batting about 46 or something on the on the PMI scale. Italy, uh, well, Italy's um, I don't think Italy's anywhere near the same. Uh, in the same boat as uh, as Greece, uh, but uh, uh, I think Italy, uh, Portugal, Spain—they've they, all got to be a little bit careful uh, these days. Uh, what, what that what that involves, uh, not being an economist, I, I don't quite know. But uh, uh, Spain seems to be Spain seems to be coming back. Uh, but you know, you're talking uh, you're talking 20% unemployment. Uh, uh, it's been it's, well. It, it was up at 25 not uh, a year or so ago, a couple of years ago. It's been it's been pushing 30, but it's it's coming back. In, in fact, I think it's just squeezed below 20, 19 point something. Uh, they ought to turn off the grappa machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Wow, that's uh, that's tough unemployment. So, what's happening with exports from Europe? If uh, manufacturing is doing a little better, hopefully exports are doing a little better. Uh, exports, yeah. Well, the the, the export in, uh, I mean, the big the big guy in uh, in uh, in Europe, of course, as as we all know, is is, is Germany. And um, I, I've just been doing a little bit of. Um, Looking here and there and um, a little bit everywhere for, for some for some info on uh, on exports and I found some couple of things that quite quite amazed me. <clears throat> um, Germany uh, Germany exported um, about 1.33 trillion uh, in 2015 and and to put that in perspective. Uh, the U.S. is at about 1.45, 1.5, and China's at about 2.2, uh, 2.25, in in that sort of area. 
So okay. uh, Germany, but, but the, 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 the really remarkable one for me was the Netherlands. Germany, you're talking a country with 80 million people. You're talking a country that, as we all know, has uh, has a great uh, record in uh, in exports, in manufacturing, uh, in apprenticeships, and all the rest of it. But the one that amazed me was uh, was the Netherlands. The, you're talking here about a country that's uh, that's got 17 million people, and they uh, they exported uh, in I think it was. The last figures I think I've got are 2015. They exported um, 474 billion for uh, for a um, uh, a population of 17 million. And and to put this in in even more perspective, uh, this represents 68% of the of their total economic output. So the Netherlands is basically a, a real exporting country. That that particular figure for Germany is uh, is 35%. And if you want to, again, if you want perspective, uh, the U.S. is 7.8. Uh, France and the U.K. are out 14, 15, 18%. So uh, there is, and and mo and the majority, of course, of these of these exports go to other uh, other EU countries. And, uh, and and the UK, of course. <laughs> right. Those are uh, those are astonishing figures, particularly for Germany. Can you can you repeat that number for Germany for exports? One point three three trillion. It, wow. It, it, it works out for sixteen thousand four hundred dollars per per capita. Uh, the figure for Netherlands is double that. It's thirty-three thousand uh, dollars. Per capita. Uh, what, are they, what are they uh, exporting except sardines? Well, uh, the um, the Netherlands, they actually export uh, like like everybody else. They they export a lot of um, uh, a lot of machines, as they call them, machines, engines, and pumps. That's the sort of category that uh, that yeah. is mentioned. Uh, the, the, the Netherlands exports an awful lot of oil. Uh, and uh, electronic equipment, um, and um, they just they just get up there, <laughs> you know. Whether if if you look at, if you look at Germany, uh, Germany with 1.33 trillion, the, the, their the, their big item is is vehicles, uh, which is uh, 250 billion. Uh, they, they, their machines are uh, 230 billion. Uh, electronics 130 billion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and you go to uh, you go to aircraft at 46 billion. Uh, the, the one that brought a bit of a chuckle was uh, was uh, was France. Uh, their uh, eighth and uh, their seventh and eighth uh, largest exports, respectively. Uh, first one is beverage, spirits, and vinegar. And the next one is perfumes. That, that represents about six and a half percent of their uh, of their total exports. Um, if they worked, uh, if they worked twelve months, they could increase their uh, output by about eight nine percent. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting. It's interesting that you say that, and, and it's interesting that, of course, there's, there's this ongoing. Uh, uh, this ongoing sparring match always has been for centuries between the UK and France. 
But uh, the, the UK may, may have the figures. It may have the unemployment and what have you, and, and it may uh, it, it may in fact uh, have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But the, the bottom line is that France is more productive, even with a even with an almost ten percent unemployment rate. That uh, they they actually uh, uh, they actually export more than the UK. Not not a lot 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 more, but they do exp export more than the UK. And um, uh, the, the per capita, they're they're up at seven thousand three hundred dollars against the UK six thousand three hundred dollars. Mm. And well, and the, the bridge, France, of course, is very big in aircraft. Yeah. If the Brits drank less beer and exported more beer, they'd be better <laughs> off all around. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about the uh, what about the upcoming election in France? I know that uh, one news report will say it's going to end up with a right wing candidate. Another mm -hmm. will say it's going to end up with a left wing candidate. It's very much like the Trump uh, Clinton election here. We're just going well, in your perspective. Yeah, the thing is that uh, we, in in France, of course, you have uh, you have Marine, Marine Le Pen as, as an individual is is out in front. In other words, she she's got more people saying they'd vote for her than anybody. Um, but of course, what happens is that she'll she, she may win the first. The, uh, as you know, in France, there are two rounds. There's there's one one round one Sunday and another round the second, and. Uh, what normally happens is, uh, and, and and this happened with her father some years ago, is that she might win the first round, and then they'll sort of gang up on her for the second to make sure she doesn't uh, she doesn't get elected. I wish we had two rounds. Sorry. I said I wish we had two rounds. <laughs> Did you hear the latest one in Sweden? Oh yeah, yeah that's the joke of the day. Yeah, it's, it's it's wonderful the way the news gets around the world in a, in, in an instant, isn't it, these days? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Cer <laughs> it certainly does. Uh, you know, the other thing that, we're look, that we look at uh, and watch, enjoy hearing from you, is on the U.K. Um, what's happening in the U.K.? Give us that update. Sorry? The, the uh, U.K. Yeah. The, uh, are you talking about Brexit? Well, Brexit, manufacturing in the UK, uh, all of manufacturing in the um, manufacturing in the UK is is good. It's been good. It's been apart from July, actually, it's been uh, it's been up there. And um, the last the last figure was uh, oh, I think it was something like fifty four point something. Uh, slightly down, but uh, but still still way over the uh, you know the uh, the average, and uh, th there is there is some concern uh, because of, because of the weak pound, uh, and the pound as you know has dropped uh, ten depending on which week uh, between ten and fifteen percent, uh, and so people are it's, it's costing people more to uh, you know for raw materials. And uh, there is some some fear, particularly on part of the automotive, which is uh, even though there's really no such thing as a as a British automotive mark anymore, uh, they do make an awful lot of, uh, of vehicles in the UK, and this kind of thing is going to put up the um, the 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 costs. Um, and 
so there is some sort of caution on the part of the automotive people for 2017 uh, in general. Uh, construction should be should be good in in the well it should be good because there there's a great shortage of houses and uh, somebody somewhere is is going to put the foot down and start uh, start building more. Uh, so generally at the moment it looks it looks not too bad and uh, in fact there are some people that are saying that in the long term uh, it will be the the strong guy in Europe as as, as far as growth goes anyway. What has grown really? over the next 10, 15 years? Yeah, but that's some people. I mean, there are always some people that say that. <laughs> one, one doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Well, so far it looks like Brexit is working out fairly well for the UK. Well, it, uh, it's it, so far, but of course Brexit, um, Brexit's yet, yet got to happen, and uh, today. Right. Today and or tomorrow, or the, the next couple of days, it's in the it's in the hands of the House of Lords, and uh, they have to debate. And the House of Lords is majority Labour as opposed to Conservative, and they have to debate. And uh, they, they will basically want to know what um, what uh, Theresa May has got uh, up her sleeve because she can't tell them what she's got up her sleeve because uh, if she tells them what they've got up her sleeve, Europe will find out what's up her sleeve. And uh, this, whole <laughs> this whole thing is going to be... Um, uh, it's, it's, well, as, as we've said before, it's going to take, take some time. And uh, it will... Uh, uh, she, she's hoping to... Uh, to trigger it before the end of March, it, it could be the 10th of March, the 15th of March. It could be any, really, any day after the first couple of weeks in March, when when she decides that they're going to start uh, negotiating with Europe, and then of course there's the, uh, you know, what happens after that. And, and the latest thing is that, that Tony Blair, you remember him, <laughs> right? Um, right. Is, is is come in and and he's talking. Uh, Tony is talking about a uh, Brexit resistance, and he's, he's, started, he's standing up and saying that uh, uh, people that voted for Brexit didn't really realize the implications. Well, that's really, really profound, isn't it? Uh, so they should have a right to change their minds. Now, for an ex-prime minister who's, uh, who's looking at the results of a, of a referendum, that sounds to me a bit naive. But of course, they're not going to get a chance to uh, to have another friend, and they're not going to have a chance to uh, change their minds. They've already committed themselves. But Tony's uh, poor old Tony's not uh, not credible in the UK. He's, he's probably one of the most hated men in the country because of uh, that four-letter word, Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what happens if the House of Lords says no? We're not well, the, with the, the, yeah, the, uh, I mean, there, there are those that, there are the, that again, there are those that say, well, the Lords will will never vote uh, or overthrow the House of Commons, and there are those that say, well, you never know. Uh, they may uh, they may ask for absolute assurances about the um, three million or so um, uh, EU citizens who are living in um, in, uh, in in the UK. And uh, and they they would also like some assurance that Parliament 
parliament as such as opposed to the government uh, will will basically have a say in uh, in whatever is negotiated in uh, uh, with europe so 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 they, the, the the lords may the, the lords will not overturn the the brexit thing but they may they may say well we want this and we want that we would like to see this and we'd like to see that well, I feel badly for manufacturing in both the U.K. and the E.U. as manufacturing experienced here before our recent election. There was so much uncertainty. No one did anything uh, yeah. to press the economy a bit. Um, yeah. I suspect that the E.U. and U.K. could experience a similar disruption. Well, they will. They will, of course, continue trading until until the actual exit, which is. Uh which is not for a couple of years. There is one, just one thing. Uh, there is one uh, party in Europe. Um, that, that's the this party in Holland. There's a guy co- in the Netherlands. There's a guy called Geert. Uh, what's his name? Here again, got his name here. Uh, Geert Wilders. Yeah, this guy is... Uh, Apparently, he's top of the polls because there's, a, there's, a, there's an election in the Netherlands in March. And he's top of the polls, and he wants to close the borders, he wants to close the mosques, he wants to leave the EU and the euro. Now, if you remember about 10 minutes ago, I was telling you about <laughs> how much um, uh, the Netherlands exported. And, and what it right. represents in terms of their economy, 68% of the Dutch economic output is uh, is exports, to the, and 75% of that goes to the EU. Uh, so uh, there's a dilemma for the guy. And, uh, if he <laughs> wants to leave, if he wants to leave the euro and uh, and the EU, so it's all it's all to watch out for, and uh, the, the, there'll be a result on on that in the next uh, in the next four weeks. Uh, the Dutch election, and then there's the French one in May, and then, of course, in, back in uh, September is the German one. And somebody's decided to run against uh, Angela Merkel. Uh, she's um, she's going for her fourth term. And in France, well, we've got a bit of a scandal with uh, this guy, Filon, who, who apparently was paying his wife uh, to do something, but uh, she doesn't seem to have been doing anything. <laughs> so, uh, and that's that's the left wing candidate. That's the uh, he's a sort of uh, left center type, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then you got Marine, and then of course you've got this young guy uh, Macron, is who was even younger than Kennedy was uh, when he was elected. Uh, he he quit as economics minister to run uh, as a candidate in this uh, in this election. So he's to watch. He's to watch. He's a he's a bright guy. Listen, we're so tired of watching the election of the last eighteen months here. Oh, I'm yeah? not sure. I'm not sure we want to watch anything going on in Europe. Tell us when it's over. Yeah, but well, the thing <laughs> is, the thing is, Louis, you won't have to wait eighteen months. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I will tell you. I, I will tell you. Uh, well, you're probably here before before I get to tell you, but I'll I'll tell you as it as it hap- as it happens, as they say, as it happens. <laughs> oh, and another thing is, there's been a there's been a treaty signed between uh, the, the EU and Canada, 
So you're trying to come back across the pond, eh? Yeah, so I think what happened, I think think Trudeau went to see Trump, and then when he left Trump, he went went straight over to Europe to find this deal. Maybe he didn't even (laughs) tell Trump what he was doing. I don't know. Anyway, there's a free trade deal between uh, between Canada and uh, and the uh, European Union. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it all wraps up. Right. Uh, Royce, yeah. we appreciate your input on uh, the EU and the UK. Thanks for joining us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you very much. Have a good and rest of the day. Thank you, Royce. You too. We'll be right back after these commercials. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM. Brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks, just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment, components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials? 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. With us now is Chung Wang. He is our Senior International Correspondent for Asia. Chung, we're glad to have you back on the show with us. Good morning, Tim. It's good to be back. Thank you. We have a question about North Korea. What's happening with North Korea? I, we, we see a couple of interesting things happening over there, and give us an update from your perspective. Certainly, Tim. Uh, North Korea has certainly been making headlines lately. Uh, in the past week, they have made several uh, big gestures and caused a lot of international um, uh, upheaval. And for, first of all, they fired a missile. Uh, I believe it was the weekend before, and uh, this missile, they, they claim, uses solid-state fuel, which, in theory, the boast could possibly reach the U.S. mainland. Of course, we all know that's not possible at this point, but uh, but the, the simple threat is uh, is very threatening to regional stability, and also mm-hmm. even if. Right these ballistic missiles with potential nuclear warheads cannot reach the continental U.S., they can certainly reach other neighboring countries like uh, South Korea, Japan, Russia, China. Uh, So uh, it's instability for the region. So, Chang, let me ask you, what is the the, uh, Chinese view? 
I mean, I know what our view here is, uh, and we're we're most concerned. What's the Chinese view of the uh, uh, situation going on mm-hmm. in the north? I Where think they... the Chinese government is really fed up with the with the problems that uh, North Korea has been creating in the region, and uh, the Chinese government has always been very friendly or relatively friendly to North Korea. One reason is because that uh, technically they are both communist countries. Uh, the other reason is that uh, if, if there's turmoil inside North Korea and refugees start pouring out, China will be one of the first countries to get hit. Of course, South Korea will also get hit. But, um, so it's in China's interest to keep North Korea relatively stable. That's why when the United Nations uh, imposed sanctions on North Korean exports, uh, but there is, there is one loophole in the sanction, sanction is that uh, you, can, you can buy from the country if there is a humanitarian need. So that's why uh, in the past, uh, 90% of North Korean exports were sold to China. And some, some uh, statistics also show that, uh, and, and about half of those exports were coal exports. So uh, statistics show that uh, China closed down some of its own coal mines and let its own coal workers go off work, go without work, uh, rather than not buy North Korean coal in the past. But with the recent um, nuclear missile, ballistic missile launching and uh, assassination of um, North Korean's uh, supreme leader's older brother, China is really fed up and just announced uh, that they will stop, they will hold all imports of coal from North Korea uh, until the end of this year, uh, which means for North Korea, really 50%, about almost 50% of their foreign ex, uh, foreign currency income from exports will be eliminated immediately. In fact, some North Korean coal are sitting in ports in China already. So well, this is... Uh, this shiploads of coal bobbing around in the ocean, but China's solved bigger problems before. <laughs> so you right. just pull the plug on the Where bottom of the ship and dump it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's funny. Uh, but what's, what's really worrisome is that this, this action, along with all the other international criticisms and sanctions, is really pushing North Korea into a corner. Actually, what I believe the reason for North Korea continuously wanting to test ballistic missiles, want to arrange for nuclear tests, it's announced that it will arrange for nuclear tests uh, relatively soon, is because of internal unrest. And the, the leadership needs to, needs to show their existence, per se, or uh, show their power by these demonstrations of international influence. Uh, one of the other uh, demonstrations that might happen in the near future is that uh, North Korean, it is rumored that North Korean uh, leadership is seeking a dialogue with the Trump administration uh, by possibly sending a delegation to the U.S., which is still under negotiations, and meeting with uh, retired U.S. officials and such. Do you think that uh, by increasing sanctions and punishment and so on towards the north. Does this make it make them a bit more desperate and perhaps to be more provocative? I think so. I think that's definitely 
uh, one of the main reasons. And uh, besides that, the current leader of North Korea is very uh, strong-handed and unpredictable. Uh, it is said that uh, he, in the first minute, according to with his uncle, in the first minute he was praising his uncle for being such a loyal uh, subject, and the next minute he was ordering his uncle's execution uh, by way of uh, machine gun fire. So this is a very unpredictable leader, and uh, and when he's pushed to, the <laughs> it's not just any machine gun. In fact, I heard it was an anti-aircraft machine gun. So, I, uh, oh my God, what's happening so, in uh, China in terms of manufacturing? Are they still uh, working around six, seven percent GDP for the year? Yes, that is the current projection as well. Uh, China's manufacturing is relatively stable, but just as months before, the, um, the production in uh, uh, the, 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 the manufacturing side of the uh, production is growing slowly or st stably, while the service side is growing slightly more quickly. I, I believe you have a full report of that from uh, the ISM Institute. Um, on on ours, uh, we don't follow the China one uh, in particular, uh, and I guess there are there's actually two reports in China. Um, uh -huh. If I'm pr pronouncing one of them correctly, the Kai Shen. Right. Yes. And and that one uh, again has China around the the, the midpoint. Not showing anything yes. dramatic, but I guess uh, six, seven percent growth in China is what they expect to have for uh, just maintaining. Is yes. that right? That's yeah, that's that's true because of the large population and uh, and the uh, industrial restructuring that's going on. So there will be a lot of layoffs, but at the same time, the government is trying to create new job opportunities, uh, new points of, of development, of, of growth, okay. to maintain uh, stability. Chung, mm -hmm. here in the U.S. and in Europe as well, and China is probably experiencing it, we are experiencing what is known as the skill gap. The manufacturing uh -huh. jobs that are repetitive, mundane, largely what we would call here blue-collar jobs are evaporating out of the industry as automation and robotics takes place, and that comes yes. into the industry, but the uh, people needed to run the robots and understand the programming and gather the data and analyze the data is what America and Europe is short on. Are they experiencing mm -hmm. something similar in China? Uh, not Quite. Uh, yes, in a sense, yes. When there is production automation, you require more skilled workers or uh, more, uh, better trained workers with uh, more knowledge, with a better educational uh, foundation. Uh, while most of the blue-collar workers from uh, in the past did not require an educational foundation or understanding of, uh, of computers, for example, of uh, programming, they didn't need that. But in the future, um, maybe you won't be able to get a job without it. Well, the situation in China is that uh, actually the, the 
skill gap that's in the U.S. and Europe are partially due to automation. Another part is because the unskilled production jobs have left the U.S., as we discussed in the past, and went to lower-cost countries, such as China at one point, uh, and still lower cost at this point, and uh, mm-hmm. other developing nations, which, uh, which has a lower standard of living, and also uh, not necessarily standard of living, but rather the lower wages. Workers demand lower wages, therefore they are willing to do these mundane uh, jobs, which does not require much skill, at much, much lower uh, wages. Okay. Now, the other issue that's floating around out there is the potential uh-huh. trade war with China. I personally don't believe it's going to happen. Uh, it would dramatically hurt the U.S. if it did. But what is the view from China? The view from China is, uh, I think, the intellectual uh, elite also does not believe this is going to happen. This is, uh, seems unreasonable, and there are many reasons why it is unreasonable. But uh, at the same time, uh, President Trump also has a, a reputation <laughs> in his uh, so far yet short presidency. He has a reputation of following through on his uh, uh, commitments, um, even if the commitments were not were based on his beliefs alone. So it, it, there is still the possibility that uh, Mr. Trump may still follow through with his what, what he said about 45% uh, tariff on all imports from China. Uh, I believe the current average rate is about 3%. So uh, this kind of dramatic jump will certainly trigger a trade war retaliation from China and it will hurt many companies uh, although the theory is this will hurt uh, will, 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 will diminish Chinese exports to America and then therefore American consumers uh, will be able to buy American made goods. However, this theory is a little bit uh, it's maybe not so realistic because of, of a few reasons. Uh, may I elaborate? Sure. Okay. First of all, let's look at what's being exported to the U.S. from China. The vast majority of exports is our consumer electronics, and the second largest portion are textiles. And beyond that, uh, there's this bunch of things that's a little bit hard to categorize, but let's call them... Uh, low-cost consumer goods, so uh, things like uh, microwaves to garden hoses to uh, even a, a, a good portion of the boots worn by American GIs are actually uh, were made in China as well. So um, all of these low-cost consumer goods uh, are mostly made in China. Of course, uh, a lot of companies are shifting their production to even lower cost uh, areas such, such as Southeast Asia, but still China remains the, uh, the main supplier. Not even if the cost is slightly higher than Southeast Asia, but with the production expertise and experience, it's easier to buy uh, in China. And uh, if there is a trade war, Trump starts a trade war with China, what's going to happen is that uh, U.S. consumers, especially the uh, 
lower income consumers will be hurt first because they won't be able to buy lower cost consumer goods that are made in China anymore. Uh, instead, maybe uh, either they they buy something that's added with tariffs that's much more expensive than before, or something made in the U.S. which is uh, several times more than expensive. And be, besides the fact that uh, U.S. manufacturers, like you said, now have this um, gap where uh, there are no more lower wage uh, jobs. The people don't want lower wage jobs. Therefore, mass production of some low-cost goods is really not really possible. On There's the other a hand, of... a lot of the uh, imports, uh, like consumer electronics, which include the iPhone, uh, the vast, the, the largest portion of the profit of those goods, I'm sorry, just let me finish, uh, are actually in the U.S. Maybe one-tenth of the profit was made by a Chinese company, but actually 90% of the profit is made by U.S. companies paying U.S. Uh, employees. And if, those, if, if the trade war stops the importing of these Chinese-made cheap goods into the U.S., then these companies may lose all of the, all of the profits. Yes, Lou, go ahead. Um, it, it's kind of uh, interesting, you know, we're talking about trade war and we're talking about uh, uh, old Cold War uh, philosophies that are kind of developing. You know, here our president is going out of his way to befriend uh, Mr. Putin, who clearly is a, uh, not a friend of the United States. He may wind up being a friend of Donald Trump, but certainly not of the United States. But meanwhile, the relationship between U.S. and China is a lot more friendly, um, not so much from the political standpoint, but uh, the, the people and the politics, uh, they seem to be uh, more peaceful-like. And um, mm -hmm. for us to now go have a trade war with China and a – um, uh, kissy kissy relationship with Putin just goes contrary to anything that I can imagine in my lifetime in global politics. Um, I, I, I don't know what the view is there about uh -huh. uh, the, the Trump Putin issue in China, but I'm curious mm -hmm. if you have anything to uh, contribute on that. Uh, sure. I, I, I think the What's good, although it sounds very horrible to have a trade war, and also it may sound pretty bad to have a, a close relationship with an adversary. However, uh, I think this is this is we will see the dual side of of uh, President Trump uh, is because Trump comes from a business background and he understands the need to make deals uh, with your adversaries. And what I, I what I think is that some promises made on the campaign trail uh, to gather votes really he had no intention of falling through. Hopefully he has no intention of falling through and creating a trade war uh, as such. But rather that um, uh, the realistic, a more realistic solution would be to um, to come to a table of discussion with with. Uh, international parties 
and come to some kind of win-win situation for both. Because like starting a trade war will be lose-lose for both sides. And as uh, I've described, the U.S. stands to lose more than China in the, in the trade war. And uh, with relation to the relationship with, with Russia, the Russian president, uh, on the surface, we may see that the two are very close, but rather, um, what will be the trade-off? What is, what is Trump making a deal on? Uh, I'm not very clear, but I hope he's making some kind of deal that would benefit the U.S., so, uh, Chong, uh, just before yes, we wrap up this uh, segment, uh, what, what do you see as the best uh, realistic scenario between uh, China and Trump in terms of trade? I think that um, it's actually very easy to make a deal with China because uh, – China, China leadership are not very demanding. Uh, they know that the U.S. is the supreme superpower in the world and their largest export uh, ally and uh, market. So they cannot be very demanding on the U.S. So the, one of their first requirements is please don't sanction, uh, please don't impose a tariff on, on our goods. And then... Um, other than that, China's leadership require U.S. support on some issues, what they call core interests. And uh, the, supporting China on core interests really doesn't cost the U.S. government a penny because these core interests are mainly consists of uh, territorial uh, disputes. And the U.S. doesn't even have to back China's claim. All U.S. needs to do is to maintain the current situation, is to stop the parties involved from changing uh, the current situation, which is the situation uh, left behind after World War II in nine, from, since 1945. If U.S. can maintain the status quo since 1945, then Chinese government will be very happy and they can answer to their uh, people and public, uh, populist demand as well. On the other hand, what the U.S. can get in return, I, of course, one of the topics that uh, was talked about is the balancing of trade. Uh, but personally, I think the balancing of trade is, could be a goal, but it's probably not very possible to completely balance the trade. While there are some things that China wants to buy uh, from the U.S., and the U.S. currently or in the past uh, have, have a ban on. Uh, most of these are uh, high-tech technology-related products or uh, high-tech production-related products, and some products that are uh, could be military and civilian dual-use products. So uh, these, these bans on these products are more uh, politically based. So it, by listing some of these bans, uh, U.S. companies may have a larger market. Some U.S. companies may have a large market in China, and the balance of trade could be relatively tilted in the U.S. favor. Uh, why I say this will not uh, endanger U.S. national security is because those bans, some of those bans, are really not necessary because uh, the European countries are already selling similar technology to uh, Chinese companies, and so far there has been no military conflict yet. 
Well, on the John, other we appreciate the mm-hmm. we appreciate the updates. We've got to wrap this segment up. Uh, we've been speaking with Chung Wang, who is our uh, senior international correspondent from China. Thanks for the update, Chung, okay. and we'll talk to you uh, a month from now. Thank you, Chung. Okay, I have one more point. Actually, I, I think this uh, might be interesting. You, you you don't have to use it if you don't want to. Is that uh, I think the another important thing that U.S. could get out of China is Chinese money because in the past trade imbalance, China has accumulated a lot of U.S. currency, uh, uh, foreign exchange denominated in dollars. And what U.S. can do in a discussion with China is to get China to invest that money back into the U.S. in in terms of um, uh, building factories, possibly and building infrastructure, definitely, and building infrastructure that the U.S. does not have to pay a penny up front, for example, to have China lend the money to U.S. and build infrastructure in the U.S., creating jobs in the U.S., because this is already happening uh, with the Belt and Road Plan of China, because China has, in the past decades of construction, built a large workforce in the, uh, and capabilities on the construction sector yet they don't have that much to do domestically anymore. So that workforce, that uh, capability are moving abroad. That's why they, uh, President Xi Jinping had the Belt and Road Plan in the first place, partially, partly is to uh, use that production, that building cap- capability. And a lot of the uh, infrastructures built uh, on the, in the countries along the belt and the road are actually paid for by China. So maybe U.S. can come up with a similar plan where China pays for U.S. infrastructure. Sean, thank you very much for your very complete report, and we'll be talking to you in a month. Today we're speaking with Norbert Orr, who is our senior international correspondent. Norbert covers 18 global purchasing managers index survey all over the world, all this fascinating information. Norbert, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you. Good to be with you this morning. Yeah, it sounds like you're in Tennessee. Uh, yeah, uh, move, moving quickly through the interstate, but I'm not driving, so we're in good shape. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Welcome no, aboard. That's good. Uh, Norman, I think I'd like to start, you know, we normally bounce around the uh, planet, but I think I'd like to start with the United States and give our listeners a feel for what's happening in the U.S. in manufacturing, both the, uh, the PMI that uh, the ISM puts up, as well as some of the other ones that you follow, like Texas and uh, Chicago and some of the other uh, uh, the PMIs. So can you share that with us? Okay, sure. We'll be glad to do that. Uh, the U.S. had an extraordinarily good month uh, in uh, February and January. In January, we see the results coming in with a PMI of 56. That was up one and a half points. And this highest reading we've seen since November of 2014. So uh, manufacturing continues to gain momentum. Uh, the growth uh, rate is, is intensifying. Uh, I think we'll see some results of that in uh the GDP readings, and we're seeing a stronger support from the manufacturing sector. Uh, and it's uh, broad-based. Uh, I think we had 12 out of 18 industries that were growing. We also see st- 
strength in most of the regional surveys, and uh, it just depends on uh, on the location. Chicago was weak. Uh, I'm not sure what was going on in Chicago area this past month that it was showing a reading of only 50.3. On the other hand, we also saw strength uh, coming in the Texas survey uh, as uh, Texas picked up uh, to 52.3, the best reading we've seen since uh, uh, for quite some time out of Texas as a recovery of the petroleum economy. The uh, other survey that I pay a lot of attention to is one that comes out of Detroit and uh, Southwest Michigan survey. Uh, it was weakening, uh, and I think that's an indication maybe the auto industry is weakening at, uh, at the present time. Uh, and when I say weakening, it's uh, autos were running at a uh, run rate of 18 million cars. And uh, that's fallen off of that break, but uh, that's to be expected at this point in the uh, in cycle. Uh, so overall, the, the U.S. is uh, doing quite well, and we expect it to continue uh, at, at a similar rate, probably, as to what we are at right now. I'd like to I'd like to point out uh, to our listeners, uh, Norbert, that uh, uh, you, we separate out Texas from uh, your 18 other nation reports because Texas, being as large as it is and its economy is as large as many foreign countries. So uh, I, I just wanted to point that out. Uh, if you'd like to speak further on that, uh, be my guest. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Lou. Texas is its own economy from the standpoint of the petroleum industry, and so it's highly dependent. And, and so we track it specifically because it quite often is going in, in a different direction than the overall economy. Uh, right. So the overall economy tends to be driven in manufacturing by autos, uh, and so Texas does have some auto industry but not anywhere near what they have in the petroleum industry. Right. So tell us, what's what's the worst country in the world right now, according to your report? I have a, I have a, I have a feeling I know what it is, but I'm going to let you pop it. Uh, well, uh, the ones that I follow, uh, there's certainly countries that are worse, but the ones that I follow, Brazil, still continues to struggle greatly. Uh, their PMI this past month was only at 44. Uh, they've been in a long-term manufacturing recession. Uh, there's a number of reasons for it. Uh, the politics that they don't ever seem to be able to get right or the corruption in politics or uh, whatever they run from that. Uh, they also tend to put up a lot of tariffs and barriers that tend to slow down the uh, uh, stifle the growth growth of the economy. Uh, they have very uh, uh, taxes as great as import duties as great as 30 and 35 percent on new machinery at times. And so when you 
not buying new machinery. You're also not buying new productivity uh, from uh, what they get. So they really struggled. The other country that's had more problems uh, recently has been South Korea. But South Korea's uh, contraction is, is really only marginal. It's not a deep contraction like Brazil. Other than that, uh, we see uh, countries like India that are growing at the margin. Uh, so is uh, both of the China surveys. Australia, all are, are still growing, but it's, it's at the margin. You mentioned that uh, the China survey showed uh, China at the margin, Norbert. Is that correct? Uh, China, uh, the two surveys, one's at 51 and the other is at 51.3. So uh, that shows uh, slight growth. Now, that also can translate, can translate, in all fairness, that can translate to 6% growth in China. Right. Uh, so whereas in the U.S., uh, that number would be less than 2% growth. So. It's one of the, the nuances of this is surveys uh, that China has stayed at the 6% level for about the last four and a half years, uh, and with no signs of, uh, of improving that much over where they are right now. I, I find it interesting, Norbert, that uh, Canada uh, finally looks like it's uh, picking up a bit. Uh, and, and we, uh, All Metals and Forge Group, we do a fair amount of business in Canada. It's been kind of a, a dry spell up there for pretty much uh, 2016. But it looks like now it's uh, beginning to uh, get some legs. That's true. You know, the Canadian uh, economy is dependent on energy. It's dependent upon commodities. And it's dependent upon automotive. And, uh uh, so it's very closely tied to what's happening in automotive in the U.S. Uh, because a lot of cars are made and assembled and so on, shipped out of, out of Canada from that. But they, they seem to be now the control of the energy industry uh, and commodities are picking up. And so we see uh, kind of the, the same thing happening in, in Canada. Okay. Well, moving, uh, moving across the pond, Norbert, I'm very curious about the fact that the U.K. PMI is up and, well, it's, it's off a little bit from last month, but for several months it's been up following the Brexit vote. Can you go into that a little bit? Uh, yeah, I guess we're, uh, most of us are surprised. I'm sure there are a few people who aren't, but... Uh, uh, all of the pre-Brexit claims were based on uh, a down, big downturn, almost a depression in the U.K. Uh, if they voted for Brexit. Uh, but uh, obviously there are other people who feel more optimistic about their economy for that. I think in the long term the U.K. will benefit from being separate uh, from the rest of the EU. Uh, just simply, the, the EU struggles with 24 countries all having their own self-interest at heart, but uh, 
transferring the responsibility for that economically to Brussels uh, has not worked out well uh, because each country has a profile that they'd like to be. Uh, and so the idea of a trading block, I think, is probably a good idea. The idea of a currency block uh, has not really worked out, and I think the U.K. is going to benefit. And they were it was easier for them to do this than anybody else because they maintained their currency. The others right. uh, have struggled with that. It's a very interesting analysis. Uh, I would tend to agree with you. Now, I see that uh, the Eurozone, however, is also uh, doing well with their purchasing managers in that. Uh, yeah, they had the best month. They had the best month that they've had uh, in quite some time. The uh, fact it was a total of 69 months. The overall index for the Eurozone was 55.2, which is a very significant number when you run that across eight countries. Uh, but that gets them uh, back up to a, a very strong, their best level since the Great Recession. Well, that certainly is uh, encouraging that we're seeing the U.S., the U.K., and the EU all with rising PMI numbers. Um, a sense of the next couple of months, because I know that uh, fortunately you're willing to uh, kind of look in and crystal ball this a bit. Uh, what is your sense, Norbert, of how manufacturing is going to fare over the next 90 days or so? Uh, I, I think uh, over this upcoming quarter uh, in particular, that we're going to see a continuation of strength in manufacturing. There's a lot of investment that's taking place, a lot of commitment to new jobs and so on that we're seeing. So uh, if all that comes to fruition, and obviously we can't expect all of it to happen in a quarter, but it should continue to see things moving in the positive direction. Uh, a little weakening in the dollar would be helpful with the strong dollar. That discourages some of the exports and so on that we might have. Uh, but over the over the course of the first half of the year, I think we're going to continue to see a, a good manufacturing economy. Uh, housing seems to be holding its own. The only area I'm really that concerned about is uh, a little bit of a dip in the automotive. It won't be that bad, but uh, automotive affects about 10 of the 18 industries in uh, the North American industry classification system. So uh, automotive has to do well for us to do for extremely well. Uh, hasn't the automotive industry, Norbert, really been at an all-time high for the last two years? Yes. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the automotive industry has a habit of pre-selling their volume, that's where they add all these deals. I just passed a, a car lot this morning, and I was, uh, they have one vehicle out there where they were talking about uh, an $8,000 savings for the for the buyer, and another one that was saying 20% off. Uh, I hope people aren't foolish enough to believe those numbers. Uh <laughs> 
because the margins in the car business aren't that good that they uh, they can afford to do those that, those things without playing with the books a little bit. Cooking the books. Yeah. Yeah, I have seen some tendency, and I don't think it's just automotive. I see it in some uh, high-end electronics as well, where the suggested retail price is ridiculous so that they can offer a great discount uh, and make it very appealing to the uh, gullible consumer. (laughs) Right. Well, uh, being a professional buyer, I always operate on the buyer beware. And uh, certainly uh, in today's consumer market and credit market, uh, the buyer had better beware. Uh, Norbert, uh, this question may be slightly off uh, off your track, but I just wonder if you have any thoughts on it. Um, we've been noticing, and uh, it came out in, uh, on the wires this week, about China, uh, aside from the fact that their economy is uh, a bit weak right now, they're very much involved in buying U.S. companies. And uh, it started uh, primarily last year. There were seven major corporate purchases that run, some of them run into the hundreds of millions, and then there was another one at a billion point something. Uh, and it seems as though that if this is going to be part of their uh, tracking to be here in the U.S. Uh, do you see any good, bad, and print that would affect or not affect the U.S.? Yeah. You know, historically, there's been times. Uh, we went through the same thing with Japan. Boom. Right. Uh, and it's back when Japan bought Pebble Beach and Rockefeller Center and uh, made large investments in the United States. Uh, none of those really turned out well for them. Uh, acquisitions by China, I think some of it is trying to help offset the balance of trade uh, by putting certain facilities here, uh, but in, in the long run, uh, I still think U.S. companies in general are run much more efficiently and effectively than Chinese companies, and so uh, in many cases, they're going to find it's very difficult to, uh, to grow their business the, the way they think they can, uh, in, you know, based on the relationships that they've got in the U.S., and what their expectations are for profitability. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we want to, we want we talk about free trade a great deal. And uh, from a theoretical standpoint, I, I think it's great to be in favor of free trade. But I also contend that fair trade is uh, probably uh, much more equitable. It's like I talked about Brazil. They hurt themselves by putting large tariffs on things coming in so that they don't get the latest technologies, they don't get the efficiency. It may prop up a, a local industry, but uh, it, it simply, if you have to subsidize it to make it work, uh, it's probably not a good investment. Mm-hmm. Good analysis. Thank you. Uh, Norbert, as we wrap this segment up, other than the strong dollar, are there any other headwinds for manufacturing going into 2017? Uh, well, there's always there's always some headwinds, right? Uh, uh, the dollar right now is, is the most prominent of those. Uh, you know, we, we hear 
as to how tight the labor market is. Uh, you know, those things tend to solve themselves over time. Uh, for instance, in, in home building right now, they're having a lot of issues uh, getting uh, a lot of people left the trades in home building uh, during the Great Recession. The Great Recession. And uh, there's not coming back. They, they found jobs in other industries. I just said the home building's too up and down. I'm not going to do it. But o- over time, as the pay rises and the opportunity rises, uh, they'll backfill those, those jobs. Uh, they'll find new ways of dealing with it using different uh, sources of labor for that. So that, that would be the other thing is uh, the, the labor situation. Uh, may, may be tenuous in uh, some parts of the country. Well, I think uh, we all see that the same way. I know that everybody's hustling, trying to correct the labor situation. Academia is working hard to correct it. and So we'll have to watch that as we go into 2017. But, Norbert, we always appreciate the information you share. It's always very insightful. And I even picked up a few new kernels of uh, information and golden nuggets this morning. So thanks for being with us. Thank My you, pleasure. Norbert. Glad to be with you guys. Have a safe trip. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Safe travels, and we've been speaking with Norbert Orr, our senior international correspondent who follows the Global Purchasing Managers Index. He follows 18 of them. He follows several regional ones in the United States. Always great information. All right, we're back, and we appreciate all of our senior international correspondents taking the time to join us. Some of them are up late at night to catch our show and do input. And Lou? Time to find out uh, how you feel about it. Oh, this is a commentary. I get to say anything I want, huh? <laughs> like John McLaughlin. Well, may he rest in peace. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of good things going on. Uh, aside from what we've heard from our three international correspondents, which uh, uh, really was uh, very, it's a very good input, uh, just to summarize a couple of points uh, that – uh, giving you the, uh, the the quick upside of it. Uh, plans, uh, this is a report put out by NFIB, Small Business Economic Trends. It was put out uh, the end of last month. And here's some of the things that they are talking about. Plans, and this is a survey of small to medium-sized companies in the United States. Yes. Plans to increase employment, 18%. Plans to make capital outlays. 27%. That's huge. That's a, lot, that's a lot of machinery building. And we, we at All Metals and Forge Group, we love machinery builders. They're, they're our, our, our buddies. Um, expect the economy to improve. This is whopping, 48%. Either we're all delusional or there's <laughs> something to back this up. 48%. Big number. Um Real sales expect to go higher by 29%. Uh, current inventory, this is great. Current inventory is minus five. Yay! That's great. That means they got to buy stuff. So uh, right. we, we, what's that? That's right. They got to buy something. You they can't gotta buy stuff without raw materials. I, I hope the inventory level drops even more so in next month's report. 
Uh, current job openings. Uh, again, this is huge, and it, it fits with what we've been talking about all year, about the fact that there's 700,000 vacant manufacturing jobs uh, in, in this country. Current job openings, they expect 31% increase in more job openings. So oh, that 700,000 is going to grow. As we've been predicting that if they don't do something about skills gap and all of that stuff, that by as the next decade goes by, that 700,000 is going to be at, uh, uh, what was it, 10 million, I believe the number uh, is? 3.2 3. is somewhere between Oh, 3, 3. million 3. in 3. 10 4. years. Right, right. Yeah. Big number. Um, the expected, the best time to expand your business Right now, 25% of the small to medium-sized businesses feel as though this is a good time to expand their businesses, which is great. Um, earning trends, they're expecting it to go down by 12%. I, I guess if you're out there um, uh, buying inventory and buying uh, uh, equipment, that maybe your uh, earning trend is going to drop for a while, but that should then catch on and pick up at uh, great speed. So that's uh, pretty much a summation of the uh, North American uh, view of what's coming this uh, this year, and uh, pretty happy about it. Yeah, it's almost uh, eerie, Lou. You and I have uh, been on the air for a little over three years now, and we haven't been in a position to say everything's looking up and to the right in terms of growth charts. And yeah. now that it kind of is here, it's a little eerie and uh, uncomfortable to say it's all looking up and to the right. Yeah, but you don't want to jump and da- jump up and down on the ice. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, the report uh, that uh, – Roy Slow and uh, Chung Wang and uh, Norbert Orr gave uh, uh, gives uh, great insight into what's going on in their part of the world also, uh, particularly Europe. It looks like Europe is really beginning to uh, catch on uh, in spite of the fact uh, that they've got about six different elections coming up. But their election cycles are different than ours. It doesn't get quite as nasty. Yeah, although they they have the same uh, mixed bag of tricks and uncertainty for manufacturers that we suffered in 2016. Not uh, who's going to get elected. That's that's true, and none of the other countries uh, had 16 people running in one party, so uh, they kind of narrow it down to two, you know, <laughs> which is a more traditional number, um, but. Uh, Going going forward, it, uh, it it looks as though the China is uh, improving. And uh, last week we reported on the fact that uh, the new Chinese uh, philosophy is to um, bring in uh, new business to the United States. That they're buying companies. There were seven major purchases last year. And the trend looks as though that there's going to be a lot of uh, Chinese companies buying American companies. So it's going to be hard for uh, 
some of the political issues with, between the U.S. and China to really carry forward if now all of a sudden they're in our country and uh, they're uh, manufacturing here, they've got employees here, American employees. It truly is becoming the mixed bag of global blending, uh, so, which I think is actually a good thing. It's hard to be an enemy of your partner. Uh, the global economy is an unavoidable eventuality. There's no sense fighting it with trade wars. But if we start one with China, I would encourage you to buy your consumer electronics now, update your laptop. <laughs> yeah, before the Americans will be making them. <laughs> or we slap on uh, stupid tariffs that drive it to $800 for a $300 laptop. <laughs> but yeah, the, the yeah. global economy, it's just been evolving. It will continue to evolve. Uh, you know, we might become the United Federation of Planets, Star Trek someday, yeah. where all yeah. of the countries are just, it's just one economy. The problem with that is that there's always a leader who says, I'm the big guy. I want to be number one. <laughs> and we've seen, we've seen many of those over a period of time. Um, interesting uh, came out this week that uh, England and Canada, uh, even though they're closely related, just signed a huge trade deal together. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did. I, I look at that as a bit of a minus for the U.S. Oh, absolutely. I agree, Lou. Canada is our number one trading partner, and now all of a sudden they're deciding to go back to the motherland. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that, I don't know. Not, I, we should... We should have asked Royce about that, how he feels about uh, them coming back to take take their country back. Well, they certainly are uh, putting out in the news that they're willing to take in all of the people we throw out of the country. Yeah. So they won't have a labor shortage problem or a skills gap. They'll pick up those people who decide to move north. Hey, Kansas, pretty nice digs. Yeah, I, I, we had an office there for six years, and I used to go there uh, ten months a year. Uh, and it's a it's a beautiful country. Toronto is beautiful. Quebec is beautiful. If you can understand anybody, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I see that there's going to be an, an impact on us with regards to uh, this trade deal. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I think that's uh, that's pretty much a, a, a wrap, uh, Tim, as far as uh, our commentary is concerned. Um, uh, we'll, uh, we're, we, we think that you uh, will uh, come up with some more goodies for next week. And, uh, I again, I recommend that you listen to our show at mfgtalkradio.com. And uh, have a good week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.